This is Sit Rep on BFBS with Kate Jabbar. The Queen, the Republican, and the handshake. A remarkably statesmanlike and courageous thing. Uh, an act of profound and, I think, extraordinary reconciliation. Bomber Command is finally commemorated. While he was gone, back home, um, his crew went up without him, and uh, none of them survived. We hear the latest from the Syria-Turkey border, and what does Armed Forces Day mean? It's been described as one of the most potent symbols of reconciliation since the start of the Northern Ireland peace process. The handshake between the Queen and former IRA commander Martin McGuinness lasted just seconds, but its legacy will undoubtedly have an indelible mark in the history books. Earlier, I spoke to Lord Ashdown, the former leader of the Liberal Democrats, who served in the province with the Royal Marines. I asked him if this simple act drew a line under the conflict. No, the conflict will go on as long as it goes on in the minds of men, and they are chiefly men, of course, who lead conflict. Um, But it's a very, very, very significant step. I mean, for two reasons we will understand. Uh, Reasons of history, where Mr McGuinness comes from, I think it was an act of great courage, and if I may say statesmanship from him. And given Her Majesty's position, and particularly the position of the tragedy that befell her family, um, it is a remarkable... Um, a remarkably statesmanlike and courageous thing, uh, uh, an act of profound and, I think, extraordinary reconciliation. I mean, here's a factor which may not have been talked about too much. Actually, the, king, the Queen doesn't shake hands. She never shakes hands. I'm on her Privy Council. I've taken the Queen's shilling as one of her servicemen. If I stuck my hand out to be shaken by the Queen, it would be sta- standing there until it froze. So she broke with royal convention and as well as... And why do you think as, she did that? Because I think she understands the Queen of the whole United Kingdom, and I think that she understands that the position of Northern Ireland is one in which she has to act in a way that brings about reconciliation. By the way, that reconciliation is built on the courage of ordinary people, and she confirms that. I mean, as you may know, I was involved in over 18 months, two years, seeking to negotiate and negotiating a deal on the issue of parading. The people I was dealing with um, came from the people who were powerful on the street when I was there as a soldier. On the Sinn Féin side, a remarkable man called Spike Murray, who was certainly involved in, a key member of the IRA, in the, in the Ardoin region, where I served as a company commander when he was there. But we worked together, because there's a time to put guns behind you. He was a remarkably intelligent man, and I think is a remarkably intelligent man, and a very profound uh, representative of his cause and his people. And the same applies to those on the Protestant side too. That's what peace is about. You have in the end to talk to your enemy when the chance is given to give peace to people um, for the future. And that's, what the, and that's what Her Majesty the Queen has now confirmed. Indeed, and the peace process in Northern Ireland has been described as a success story, particularly in the way it's brought Yes, people. I don't think we're quite there yet. I mean, the, 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 there are still recidivists about There are still people on both sides, Protestant and Catholic, who resist this. There are still people capable of carrying out terrorist acts. Unfortunately, we've seen that. But it has brought people like Martin McGuinness into well, democratic yeah, fortunately, now, fortunately, nowadays, nowadays, um, they... Um, uh, they don't have the support, the widespread support, 
I have to say, built in many cases on justifiable complaints from the Catholic community. I was brought up in Northern Ireland. My father was a Catholic and my mother was a Protestant, and I knew this was coming. Um, and, you know, the Catholic cause in many cases was, was profoundly justifiable. I don't justify the use of arms in pursuit of it, but the case itself certainly was. But here is the point I want to make. It has taken huge courage uh, from Her Majesty the Queen at the top, but from ordinary people to do this. It took huge courage and statesmanship, I think, from Martin McGuinness. My own view is that Mr McGuinness and Mr Adams, who were on the, exactly the other side when I was a soldier from where I was, have nevertheless shown, I think, immense wisdom and courage for the cause of peace in Ireland as a whole. And that has been reflected by people like David Trimble, with whom I serve in the House of Lords, and who represented the, Catholic, the Protestant side too. And, of course, the remarkable, ever-surprising big man of Northern Ireland, um, Ian Paisley, who arguably started the whole process going. Have you ever shaken the hand of Martin McGuinness? Would you like to? <laughs> Let me tell you a little story. Yes, I have shaken his hand. Um, I was, when I was first took up this job to do the parades, um, I went down to see him with my friends, Mike Murray and others. I walked into his office and he said to me, you know, Mr Ashdown, my people don't quite <laughs> trust you because you've been a British soldier. So I looked him in the eye and said, Mr McGuinness, we're both army men, OK? <laughs> and he laughed. It was a good joke. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. You have to, in the end, you have to sit down with your enemies when the chance of peace is given. You can't avoid it. Indeed. And do you think there's anything from this peace process and the way it's been handled that can serve as a kind of format for the future? India, I'm thinking about Afghanistan, about bringing the Taliban into the fold, which everybody is saying is necessary for the longevity of the of Well, peace well do let's there. remember that the reason why this happened was because um, all sides agreed that peace had to be made through a constitutional process and that the arms would be put aside and they would seek to peep. They now had the offer of peace through the process of constitutional politics, fairly balanced to give both sides a reasonable chance. We haven't quite got to that position. Is this an opportunity for hope for others? Yes, it is. Northern Ireland people from both sides travel the world, um, helping others to reach the same conclusion. But not everywhere has the same ingredients. Not everywhere has the people of vision and courage to make it happen. And not everywhere is quite in the situation which has finally been arrived at after far too many years of bloodshed and tragedy uh, where this is possible. I know that from Bosnia. You see it today in Afghanistan, and I expect you see it elsewhere as well, Syria being an example. Yeah, to talk about Syria briefly, um, where handshakes are highly unlikely for a very long time, what do you yeah. think the way forward is for the situation there? Well, I mean, look, it, it takes time to unstitch the enmities of war. Just remember that. I mean, the poison that war engenders in people's blood, in their mindset, it takes time. It takes courage on the part of leaders like Nelson Mandela, both sides of the peace in Northern Ireland, to achieve that. And it also takes time. We shouldn't expect it to happen overnight. I fear in Syria we're a long way from settlement. I fear in Syria... I'm highly critical of the West in the way that they've handled this. There's been clumsy diplomacy that made it easiest for the Russians to cast a veto. We have to now wait until the Russians realize the folly of their actions and that it is not in their interest to be continuing to back uh, Mr. Assad. Um, and that means, I'm afraid, more time and balefully, and I hate to say it, but it's the truth, probably more blood as well. Lord Ashdown speaking to me earlier while I'm joined by defence analyst Christopher Lee. Hello, Christopher. Um, to go back to the handshake, handshake uh, how much is there in that kind of gesture? Don't forget that you don't make peace with your friends, you make peace with your enemies. So in that sense, there's a lot to it. You've also got to see in this particular case the, the, the real politique of the whole thing. When the Queen went to Ireland uh, last year, Sinn Féin boycotted her visit 
and they lost out in a big way on this. They're riding at the moment about 16% in the opinion polls in Ireland. They're trying to get into coalition government in Ireland. That's the biggest thing. So was it a cynical do. move on their part? It's not quite think? cynical, but it's, it's a political opportunity and they have taken it. And that is particularly important to understand that this is not simply about Northern Ireland. This is about uh, the Ireland of Ireland. Mm. You, you said uh, you shake hands with your enemy. Britain has often shaken hands with those who've later become an enemy, haven't they? Oh, yeah, and uh, also they've be- become friends. You see, Archbishop Macarius in Cyprus, we put him into exile in the 70s, German, uh, and then a year later he was the uh, heads of government uh, Commonwealth Conference. Joma Kenyatta in Kenya, he was our enemy. Harry Lee Kuan Yew, in, in fact. But what's interesting, if you take Mugabe... Robert Gabriel Mugabe, in, in, uh, at the time of the, uh, of the conference that actually brought about a solution to the Rhodesian crisis, for 15 years we liked him, and then suddenly it all went sour. But the, but the most spectacular one of all that people forget is Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein was on our side. We shook his hand quite often, but for eight years he fought Iran for us. And we actually even supplied, helped supplied arms. So does it really make a bit of a mockery of the handshake, all of this, then? And you look I, don't at history. Think, I don't think you make a shot, uh, makes a mockery of the handshake, but if you ever watch a good international rugby uh, match and you watch them shake hands at the beginning of the game, don't think they're a bunch of pansies and they're not going to do anything. Christopher, stay with us. Sit rep with Still to come, the Pakistani High Commissioner tells us why his country is still angry with America and could Turkey be drawn into war with Syria? PFBS Sit rep. The Queen has unveiled a memorial to honour the men of Bomber Command. More than 55,000 British and Commonwealth airmen died carrying out bombing missions during the Second World War. The £7 million structure in London's Green Park has been paid for by private and public donations. This is because governments have been reluctant to commemorate the bombers due to the number of civilians who died in its raids. 25,000 people were killed in Dresden. The city's mayor, Helmut Oros, was said to have expressed disgust at the construction of the new memorial and claimed the city's residents were furious. But as our reporter Annie Hairsign explains, that's not quite the whole story. Dresden, a university city, tourist hotspot and cultural centre. But during the Second World War, the city's streets were raised to a pile of rubble and burning embers, the aftermath of more than 5,000 tonnes of high explosives dropped by British bombers. The new Bomber Command Memorial in London has caused a media storm, with Dresden's mayor at the centre of it. I spoke to the City Hall spokesperson, Heike Grossman, who wants to set the record straight. Every city has its own tradition and culture to remember its own history. And people do remember here in Dresden of the night of the 13th February in 1945 and the victims. And so this was a topic here for us in the city of Dresden. But I think it was kind of misunderstanding that we are against that memorial. It was more a hint of our Lord Mayor to the Mayor of London, Boris Johnson, to tell him that it is a good sign of reconciliation to remember all victims of the Second World War. The bombed-out buildings have been rebuilt to original drawings or replaced by modern structures. The Frauenkirche, the Church of Our Lady, is one symbol of reconciliation. The crucifix at the top of the tower was donated by Dresden's twin city, Coventry. 
the cross was made by a metalsmith, the son of one of the British bomber crews who targeted the city. 20-year-old Henry Herzog says Dresden looks to the future. Okay, the war is still in their minds and it should never be forgotten, but I think we should live in the future now and not have problems all over the world. We should live in peace together. That's what this woman church is standing for. It's a building which should remind on the war, but bring together people all over the world. Another local resident, Grit Jandura, reckons contrary to recent press, the new Bomber Command Memorial isn't a hot topic here in Dresden. I haven't heard many people talk about it, to be honest. Um, it's not been on the news, but I suppose it will be on the news once the, it is being revealed. The reconstructed city skyline shows little evidence of the wartime bombardment and, as I found, even less evidence of animosity towards Britain, Bomber Command or the war itself on the city streets. Annie here sign for BFBS. Dresden. The new memorial has brought to the fore a wave of emotions for Bomber Command veterans and their families. You lose a lot of good friends being with the squadron. And it, it is just a bit emotional. He survived the war, but the reason um, I feel I need to come, getting all emotional here now, is because um, Dad had to go home, he got flying fatigue, so he had to go home for the weekend, and while he was gone, back home and um, his crew went up without him and uh, none of them survived. The thoughts of veterans and their families or BFBS reporter James Hurst was at today's ceremony. From the outside it looks like a pretty simple monument, a, a series of cream coloured colonnades on either side of a small open pillared building just on the edge of Green Park overlooking London's Piccadilly but inside that open building there are engravings all around the Portland stone walls spelling out what this memorial is about remembering the men of Bomber Command and in particular the 55,573 who lost their lives. Now at the heart of the memorial is a sculpture it is a statue of a bomber crew five of them are looking to the sky two to the ground that represents both their achievements and their losses and the range of emotions that must have been felt by those who flew bomber missions in World War II are written across the faces of those men. Now more than 6,000 6, people I should say gathered here, some of them veterans of Bomber Command to see that statue unveiled. Many of those veterans lost many friends and colleagues Medals have been proudly displayed on chests and despite age and in some cases frail health they have waited patiently in the heat of the sun both for the unveiling by the Queen and then also for their turn to actually go through the memorial itself and see it at close quarters. Also here today relatives of some of those who made the ultimate sacrifice as part of Bomber Command. Now this memorial has been a long time, long time coming too long say many of those veterans and relatives they feel that work at bomber command went unrecognized long after all others had been the drive to build this memorial has really been going for five years it has cost nearly seven million pounds all raised by donations one of the key people to start the process and push it through robin gibb sadly died a few weeks ago before he could see it completed his wife though was here today and there are still some money issues to be resolved, raising the half a million pounds still needed to pay for this unveiling, which has become almost a state occasion. But today has been just that, a state occasion about celebrating and commemorating the men of Bomber Command. And now thousands will pass this memorial in central London every day to be reminded of those sacrifices. James Hurst reporting. Uh, Christopher, how important was the bombing campaign to Britain's victory in World War II? Could we have done it without it? Be careful of Britain's victory. Um, Britain did not win 
the Second World War. Without the Russians, we would not have won it. And that's the important thing to remember, because in May 42, 1942, when the first of the thousand bomber, so-called thousand bombers, were sent over Germany on a raid over Cologne, everybody realized that it was going to be civilian lives that would suffer. And civilian lives to the tune of maybe 600,000, as many as that, that would actually not just demoralize, but it would actually destroy a lot of the infrastructure of Germany to keep the war going. But by the time you finish that period of, of two years, then you've got the what were then the Soviet army, which they call the Great Patriotic War uh, soldiers, coming in, and that settled but the in outcome context, of the war. But in the context of the Second World War, what do you, would you assess their contribution to be? It was great. It was a great, it was a huge military contribution because the idea was to, was to destroy the civilian and the industrial conurbations. And don't forget, one in five places were actually destroyed uh, because of those bombing raids. Do you think and it was high time that, to that have that this? Do you think it was high time to have this memorial? Uh, I think it's too late. Well, not too late. I think it, it should have happened beforehand, but it, we felt so bad about places like Dresden being bombed that politically, it was bad news. This is BFBS. Sit rep. Pakistan's High Commissioner to London has told BFBS the timetable for the withdrawal of international combat troops from Afghanistan is premature and politically motivated. Relations between Pakistan and America have remained difficult since last November when a US attack at the Salala border checkpoint mistakenly killed 26 Pakistani soldiers. Our reporter Rosie Layden spoke to Wajid Shamsul Hassan and asked him if his country's relationship with the US had improved at all in the seven months since the incident. The relationship, unfortunately, remains the same as we talked last time. It has yet to improve. We are trying, both the parties are trying, because after the Salala incident, when 26 soldiers were killed, there was a countrywide anger, and they also demanded that NATO supplies should be stopped from passing through Pakistan. And as a consequence of that, it war, they were stopped, and they continue to be stopped. You spoke about the border route, which was obviously closed following that incident. Um, what would Pakistan need to see to reopen that border supply route? Number one, we would like to see that Americans tender an apology. We should pacify the ongoing resentment among the people, and also, you know, compensate the 26 soldiers and the, the families have been orphaned and all that dislocated and our senior officers were also killed. So all these need to be addressed too. The Pakistani parliament described drone attacks as a clear red line. Is there any sense in Islamabad that the increasing number of drone attacks is in some way NATO trying to exert pressure on Pakistan over the supply route. We have conveyed from day one when the drones started it that uh, this, these drone attacks are counterproductive. Not only they create more hatred for NATO and the United States, but also within Pakistan, they have a destabilizing effect on the democratic government, which we do not like to have it because we have just returned to democracy and we wouldn't like to be derailed like that. And people ask us what sort of government we have, how weak the government is that it can't 
protect its sovereignty against these foreign intrusions. NATO has spoken about 2014 as the date for transition and pulling out troops. Um, you are Afghanistan's neighbour. Um, do you must have concerns about uh, the implications of that on security uh, next year. Obviously, when these NATO troops will withdraw, the whole brunt of facing them, facing a hostile Afghanistan led by Taliban will fall on us. That's why we insist that you must not withdraw until and unless you have brought in a stable, strong Afghan government in Afghanistan, which is acceptable to all the people. We don't want an outside solution to be imposed on Afghanistan. We don't want others to say what you need to do. We want them to manage their own affairs. And you know, you can't impose a solution on them. They will have to find a solution themselves. Pathans are, these, all these uh, tribals are very strong-headed people. They don't forgive and they take revenge. So you think the, the 2014 date is, is premature? I think so. It's premature. Again, they won't, they're in a hurry to get out, probably due to elections that are forthcoming. So they want to ask, seeking, uh, they seem to be seeking escape route or exit route which is not right at this time, because you have plunged the area into such a chaotic condition. You must stay there as long as the situation demands and you want to stabilize it. That was Pakistan's High Commissioner to London, Wajid Shamsul Hassan, speaking to our reporter Rosie Layden. Christopher, Pakistan still not happy with the US, annoyed about the withdrawal plans and angered by drone attacks. Now, you've always said they're key to this whole thing, to the future in the area and to Afghanistan. It doesn't bode well, does it? No, Pakistan is, is the key to Afghanistan, uh, particularly important at the moment. And, and I, a couple of things, like Wajid uh, Shazmal uh, Hassan is one of the more, I don't know, erudite uh, high commissions that I listen to. And to take notice what he says, but um, acceptable to the people, it's got to be a solution that's acceptable to the people. Uh, that is not going to happen because, as he goes on later on to say, that there are tribal effects here. Um, there is ongoing resentment among the people, he says, about the American drone attacks. Well, quite frankly, it's not so much among the people. It's among the uh, Pakistan military. And the importance of that is it's the Pakistan military, especially at the moment, after all, they've just got rid of their prime minister on a corruption charge. It's the Pakistan military that actually run Pakistan. So the conflict is the interest between the Americans and the Pakistan military. They need each other, but eventually it's the Pakistanis will will bring the coalition of Iran, Pakistan, India, and the Central Asian republics, and that is the solution to Afghanistan for the long term, but only Pakistan can bring them together. By the way, when they get upset about the drones going in, um, the RAF since 2008 have been using drone attacks 35,000 hours of drone attacks with, with the RAF Reapers. They don't talk about that very much. They just finger the Americans on this. Indeed, Christopher, stay with us. Um, let's move to Syria now, where a lot has happened in the last seven days. The president has declared that his country's at war with the rebels. His forces have shot down a Turkish surveillance plane. And a report to the UN in Geneva says atrocities have been committed by both sides. There'll be a UN meeting this weekend to try and agree, notably with Russia and China, setting up a transitional government in Syria. Stuart Ramsey is Sky News' chief correspondent and has just returned from Syria. 
area. Good to speak to you, Stuart. Um, just tell us exactly where you were and what the situation was there. Well, we're in uh, an area called the Kurdish Mountains, which uh, its central part, if you like, is called El Hafa. It heads out of Turkey, going south on the western side of the country, which is, of course, where uh, most of the trouble has been happening uh, for the past uh, few months. Uh, and we bordered Latakia, which is uh, a major city, uh, an Alawite city, and if you like, uh, this really has been the focus of an awful lot of the uprising uh, for the past few months. It's been, it was very, very difficult there, actually. Uh, a huge bombardment was taking place uh, against the villages that are in the area I was in, um, and that was night and day. Um, I witnessed three people died a few minutes after I arrived at one village. Um, the bombing of those villages continued throughout the four or five days that I was there. Um, so one would assume um, that um, there would have been more casualties. Difficult to know because um, all those these villages are relatively near to one another. When the bombing starts and when the helicopters are in the air, uh, you feel somewhat split and cut off from each other. But. Um, in the last uh, hour or so, I am told that the village I was staying in was uh, stormed by the uh, Syrian military and had been taken over. And the reason for this is that the Free Syrian Army, the FSA, is very strong in these mountains. Uh, they, they've lost uh, El Hafa and they've all gathered into this area and they're somewhat surrounded. Uh, there are a lot of them. They're not particularly well organized and they don't have the, the, the sort of heavy weapons that they need. But um, for the first time, um, there was some command and control. Uh, they did have some type of organization. They had 30 prisoners that I saw that they were looking after and had taken from Al Hafa. And so they, had, they, they certainly had improved from my previous visits where they were actually completely hopeless. Uh, to a much more well-organized um, uh, organization, but they still lacking basic firepower. So, as I say, the village I was in was taken pretty quickly, and there were a lot of Free Syrian Army in there, so that's indicative of the sort of the situation you're in, that type of area. And that's that's very similar, I suspect, from uh, all the other places, like Homs, Hammer, etc., where these mm. sort of towns that we've seen fighting Indeed. over the last few months. Indeed, I mentioned in the introduction the shooting down of a Turkish surveillance plane. Turkey now mobilising, we're told, defences along its border with Syria. Did you see ev evidence of that? And what do you think the danger is of Turkey being drawn into this conflict? Well, there's always been, since I've been crossing into the country, I've, um, I, I haven't been going in with um, visas. I've been crossing either from Lebanon or from Turkey. And there has always been a fairly major Turkish military presence on the border. Um, you're right. We, we would, as I was coming out, um, I, we could see there was more activity. I didn't realise that it was in any way, shape, or form linked to what had been happening because I'd been somewhat out in the middle of nowhere for quite a while. But yes, we definitely saw a build-up of, of, of soldiers. Um, the Syrian army have come right down to the border. That has been they've fired across the border and have killed people in Turkey. Uh, that I think happened in April or May. And so there's been some antagonism between the Turks uh, and the Syrians about that. But I think it's now been stepped up a little and that they are uh, deploy deploying more troops. However, the government, the Turkish government has made it quite clear in its statements that it doesn't wish to go to war over the fighting, the downing of this jet and then the targeting of a spotter plane. 
um, and that it will not be seen to be weak, but it doesn't want to be seen as part of the warmongering. And certainly the noises that come out of the international community are all very much the same. We'll have more discussion if it gets any worse, seems to be the general general view. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether we can sustain this for, for, forever. Uh, the Turkish is certainly allowing arms and weapons to get into, to be, to come through Turkey and to go into um, Syria, but not on the sort of scale that they need to do if there's going to be a proper insurgency, a proper military fight back, if you like, by the Free Syrian Army, but they're certainly indicating that. I don't know whether we're going to reach a point ever whereby the international community gets involved and actually does something, unless uh, Bashar Assad does something really stupid. But he's done really stupid things, which which would normally have got the international community involved from uh, virtually flattening whole cities and um, quite clearly organising the killing of many, many innocent people, and nothing much still goes on. So I think there is a sort of acceptance from the Free Syrian Army, not much is going to happen to help them, but they will just get more weapons. As a result, it is becoming more sectarian, it is now absolutely sectarian, and it will it'll get nastier and nastier, and there seems to be nothing to stop it that I can see. It's just going to get worse and worse. Christopher Lee, do you think much is going to come of this meeting at the weekend? Uh, What will not happen by the weekend and in the foreseeable future uh, is the the future of Bashar al-Assad, the president, uh, what's going to happen to him. I cannot see at the moment how you could get all these different groups, especially as they're so bitterly opposed, actually working as part of transitional government. Um, One of the problems there uh, is, for example, we're talking about the Free Syrian Army. It's still a scattered uh, militia. And that's very difficult to sort. The Turks are very pleased because if you look at what's happened up uh, from Aleppo to the west up to Turkey, it's developed through the Northern Free Brigades into five sectors. You've now got ten military councils uh, in, in, in the whole of Turkey. That is looking more organised. Homs, which uh, uh, Stuart mentioned there, you know, is still factional. And that is the most enormous difficulty. All right. Uh, Stuart Ramsey, thank you very much for your time today. Well, let's have a look ahead now to Saturday because it's Armed Forces Day and the main national event will be in Plymouth where you and I will be, Christopher, on the hoe for a day of special programming. Just tell us why Armed Forces Day has gathered so much momentum and whether it will maintain it. It is big momentum. I've, count- I've counted more than 250 similar events on that Saturday anyway throughout the country. Why has it gathered momentum? Because I think people who are connected with the armed forces like never before, this war for example in Afghanistan has been going on nearly twice as long as the Second World War. Also the national uh, opinion is the MOD has actually cocked it up and the MOD hasn't done well for the armed forces and so the public has taken the armed forces to heart and that's why it will keep going. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye for now.